Creating your own reality. Is it possible for me? I am Jennifer K. Hill, the Consciousness Architect, and I am here to tell you that it's not only possible, it's closer than you might think. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being back here with us again today for another episode of Regarding Consciousness. Today, we have an incredible author joining us from Brisbane, Australia. We have Dr. Joanna Kuyava, who is an author, a scholar, and a spiritual detective, which I must say, Joanna, I love that term. (laughs) It's such a a unique thing, I think, in all the interviews I've ever done. I don't think I've ever come across that particular term before. So we're definitely (laughs) going to have to talk about that. She received her BA and MA from the Pontifical Institute for Medieval Studies at the University of Toronto, Canada, and her PhD from Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. As an active academic for over 20 years, she uses her scholarly training to investigate topics that other academics often pass over, such as can spirituality and sexuality be experienced as one? Who was the real Mary Magdalene? And is there a lineage of goddesses resurfacing now in our collective experience of spirituality? Joanna, it's such a pleasure to have you here with us today. Thank you so much for coming on to talk about your new book. Thank you so much for inviting me, Jennifer. Yeah, what a pleasure. So please tell our listeners, what is it that inspired you to write The Other Goddesses? So that's a very interesting question. Thank you for asking. (laughs) So actually, when I was looking at the beginning of this book, why am I writing it? I had to go back quite a little bit into my childhood. So as you can probably feel from my accent, I was originally born in Poland, and I was brought up as a Catholic in a very devout um, family, which I I am not a Catholic anymore, but (laughs) my upbringing, it's a common story in this respect. And we used to go to this beautiful churches, Baroque churches in my hometown. And I always saw these beautiful images of a divine feminine, which was the Virgin Mary. And so I'm grateful for this from my tradition, because at least I had some exposure to the divine feminine. But I also noticed, which is not so common, and I also noticed that in the nave of a church, a little bit on to the side. There were always images of another woman who was very mysterious. And she was obviously quite close to Jesus. And her name was Mary Magdalene. And at that time, I thought that she was a prostitute, which now we know it's not true. And even the Catholic Church now admitted that it's not true. There is no scriptural evidence for this. But I was a little bit intrigued by her because she was very close to him. She was close to the teacher, capital T, teacher. And yet there was something, you know, mysterious about her. And I sensed that it had to do something with her sexuality. And because she was vilified for her sexuality, and yet there was some good reason why she was such a close, as we later learned, disciple of Jesus. I started to feel like the sweet, what I call the sweet song of Eros raising in me. And I didn't know how to address it because what I saw around myself was not really exciting for me because I saw all my gay friends getting married at at the age of 18 and having children right away and so on. It was very Catholic environment, both Catholic and communist, really weird. But at the same 
time, it really made me very sensitive to any form of propaganda. So I had to learn to think for myself. So I started to look into other goddesses that perhaps uh, were expressing themselves in a beautiful, erotic way. And the first goddess that I came across, because I was very young then, it was from Greek mythology. It was goddess Aphrodite. And she, so she's the goddess of beauty. She's goddess of love. She's a goddess of sexuality and sensuality. But it is a quite interesting story because later when I learned uh, how she was described in the Homeric hymn from the like 800 for common era. She starts as this beautiful, powerful goddess that all gods fall in love with and empowered by her sensuality and her beauty. But halfway through the poem, she becomes completely disempowered once she gets into a relationship with a human being, with a man. And I started to notice that there is this kind of trajectory for most of the goddesses Around the same time, the goddesses start being powerful, but then they get disempowered, almost like historically they get disempowered. And I think that perhaps there was some kind of almost agenda behind it, conscious or unconscious, because they were, so to speak, certain parts of the goddesses were edited out. From the empowered in their sensuality, they get gradually disempowered. Then I looked also at other traditions and I found in, in, in Hinduism, goddess Radha, which is a very beautiful goddess or a little bit naughty because she was married to, to, to a man, but she fell in love with goddess Krishna, with God Krishna, I'm sorry. And she, everybody loves Radha because she just surrenders to love and she represents in archetypes of Eros, she represents the part of us that just loves to be in love. Some of us love this feeling, right, of falling in love and she represents this. But I noticed that the reason why she is loved and why she is allowed to have basically an affair with a god, with God Krishna, is because she is in complete surrender, but also she's very submissive. So I thought it's interesting that it has to be some sense of disempowerment when we talk about women's consciousness and women's sensuality. And another goddess is goddess Sundari. And she's like full-on, sensual, beautiful, erotic goddess of Hinduism that in, in poems they describe her that when she was laughing, her laughter was so sensual that mango trees were coming into spontaneous fruition and were producing <laughs> mango fruits. <laughs> so imagine that. But the closer we get to modern times, nowadays when you see Sundaris in, in India, they are usually names for beauty products and for kind of massage parlors of dubious. So I think what happened to women goddess consciousness and also connection between sexuality and spirituality that they started all powerful and everybody admired them but then something happened right like they get disempowered the closer we get to modern times so i wanted to investigate it that's why i also call myself spiritual detective right yes and the reason why i call myself spiritual detective because i could have written purely academic book but i decided against it because i wanted to incorporate in the other goddess also my own spiritual experience. I wanted to be driven by the original, authentic spiritual experience and then look for the explanation of this experience. So I started to look into the esoteric traditions, especially first in Hinduism and later in, in Western traditions of Gnostic Gospels and also pagan tradition, about what happened, why the goddesses got disempowered, what happened to female sexuality, what happened to goddess consciousness, which I think is very different, but the predominantly masculine consciousness in which we live nowadays, which is very logical driven, it's all about strategizing and, and linear thinking, which is very important form of consciousness. 
but mm-hmm. it's not the only consciousness. Somewhere we forgot goddess consciousness, and I think it has to do something with sensuality. As I traveled to Asia, and then later I came to Australia, I found a tradition, a tantric tradition called Kashmir Shaivism. So when I was traveling in Asia and Australia, I got initiated to the tradition of Kashmir Shaivism, which is an ancient tantric tradition. And I spent several years in a spiritual community, but one year and a half especially, I put my academic career on hold, so to speak. I'm still working as academic, but I focus my research on this. But I spent a year and a half studying with a translator of a tantric work, Tantra Loka from 10th century, which is the light of Tantra, by an Australian academic who was the Sanskrit scholar. Mm. And the major part of this work, Tantra Loka, was chapter 29, which is how to achieve expanded states of consciousness through basically sexual art, through Tantra. And so I started to look into the origins of this actually first. And I realized that because I was looking for the for the examples of women who actually existed that maybe started this tradition and the tradition of sensuality and goddess consciousness. And in in ancient uh, Hindu history, they mentioned this woman, Arda Triyambaka, who was the daughter of an ancient sage called Triyambaka, because she was his daughter, she was called half Triyambaka, which is Arda Triyambaka. And apparently she started this tradition, tantric tradition, which is called Kula ritual, which basically uses women's sexuality for the expansion of consciousness. And chapter 29 of Tantra Loka, which was written in 10th century by a famous Hindu philosopher, Abhinava Gupta, who was a little bit like an Einstein of his times. He was writing about everything. And he was a very interesting man because he also invited the talented women to his, to his circle, which was very unusual at the time. So the times were quite misogynistic. Women were just basically to stay in the kitchen <laughs> after men. He invited women philosophers. He, he invited women mathematicians and so on. So obviously he respected women and women's consciousness as well. And chapter 29 actually discusses the way how we can reach heightened states of consciousness through spiritual practice, through sexual practices. However, the work is heavily encoded because for two reasons. One, it is that it was a secret tradition because he was a Brahmin, then it would be completely horrible thing for me to, to him, for him to expose this, himself to this. But another thing was that it was probably intended only for like highly high initiates only, because you have to be in the introduction, they say that you have to be in a particular state of mind to experience. So unlike uh, other works, for example, that discuss sexuality, it is not about improving couples' uh, sexual life, like it's often discussed in Western Neo-Tantra, but it is about expansion of consciousness. And very often, and it is very radical, very often two partners will be chosen by the guru or they should not be emotionally attached to each other because their focus should be on expansion of consciousness and not on creating a relationship which creates attachments. So wait, I have a question about that. I like to dive into the minds of our listeners out there. So what I'm hearing you say, if I got this right, Joanna, is that years ago, there was this really brilliant philosopher who was quasi Einstein, and he basically coded this written in a chapter. But the idea is to not be emotionally attached to somebody. And what is the reason for that? Is that because being in a romantic loving relationship myself with my partner, 
I would argue, theoretically, that you can reach heightened states of consciousness while simultaneously being in a loving, committed relationship. Was that not what you were saying? No, I absolutely agree with you. But so he doesn't deny that you cannot be in a romantic relationship. What he says, that the focus should be not on how we could preserve this relationship, how we could improve this relationship, but on the expansion of our consciousness. And very often he said this relationship is on the way because people who have lots of baggage in a mm. relationship. So this would be an argument. But ideally, two highly evolved individuals would have no problem in following the ritual. Yeah, beautiful. Right. I was just thinking about that. It's gorgeous when you think about it. One of the prayers that I often say every day, and many people who are listening may know I'm very spiritual and love to pray and meditate, is I actually say to the universe out loud every single day, and this includes of my husband, and I say, please remove anything or anyone who is not meant to be in my life. And that includes my husband. And he knows that I say that prayer. And so it's about being willing to give your heart, your body, your soul, your consciousness a thousand percent to somebody and simultaneously being unattached to the need to be with them. Does that make sense? Yes, it's absolutely beautiful. And actually, it's very similar to one of the prayers in the Kula ritual. <laughs> I love that. So this is perfect. Yes, but it also obviously a person of a higher level of consciousness, because most people, whatever they want to do, they want to hold on to real relationship when you have to be deeply on a spiritual path to understand something like that. So you're not shocked by what I'm saying. <laughs> but often people say, what do you mean? I cannot be attached to my partner. It causes because suffering. It, it does. It causes suffering. Because then the moment we think we need somebody else. I remember I thought it was absolutely astounding thought. I was 20 years old and dating a guy at the time. And an old friend of mine, Troy, was sitting there with dinner with us and said, if my partner, his partner at the time, Monica, she said, if she ever needed me, I would leave her. Because and it's an interesting conundrum, because mm -hmm. the moment we become attached, there is that element of suffering. And really, mm -hmm. the most beautiful joy, ecstasy, bliss we can experience is loving somebody with all of your heart and soul, and not being attached to needing anything from them. That's right. And in my book, in The Other Goddess, I call it actually the romantic trap. Like you really need, and it, you stop being authentic because to have an erotic connection, what I call erotic connection, which is also in my language, it's also very deeply spiritual connection. This is how I distinguish between eros and maybe just sexuality. So to have an erotic connection, you have to be prepared to be completely authentic with yourself and with your partner. And that means showing also occasionally your ugly parts because we all have traumas. We all have issues that we have to resolve and having difficult conversations with them. So this is part of erotic connection and a spiritual connection. When in a romantic trap, you are trying to recapture the original moment, mm. right? Of this wonder when you meet this other person. And I always say, that you have to let go of this moment because you can wear this beautiful red dress for the same man only that many times to the same effect. Yes. Because you want to replace something. You cannot replace anything in an authentic relationship. Yeah, it's, it's all new. It's all It all comes new. And I know Kabbalistically speaking, I've studied Kabbalah now for about 10 years. And one of the most beautiful things that I remember hearing in a Kabbalah class was that a soulmate relationship is not just you and your partner, male, female, they, them, it doesn't matter, mm -hmm. but that you have to have that spiritual aspect, that if you don't have divinity in that kind of menage a trois, if you will, in that trinity, then you can't have a soulmate relationship. And it's true because people might have that allure of the passion and the ecstasy and the bliss in a very short-lived way, 
And it was interesting, the other day when I was going to LAX, my Uber driver was lamenting to me he had just gotten divorced. And he said, I wonder to myself if one of the reasons my wife and I couldn't make it work is because we didn't have something deeper than the physical to bond us. And I thought, wow, that's so beautiful. It is so beautiful. So absolutely. And to have this kind of spiritual connection with another, which is also a deeply erotic connection, mm. you have to have this connection with yourself. You have to be on the path already yourself, right? Because, and I think people sometimes will project on other people and we think that we seek fulfillment through the relationship with other people. Mm. But it's a very painful lesson that we all have to learn, that we have to first be in a relationship with ourselves. Yeah, 100%, Joanna. In fact, I will share a little tip one of my best friends gave me. When I went through a divorce about, gosh, four years ago or so now, my best friend said great advice. She said, Jen, you deserve to find someone who will cherish you. Though Mm -hmm. first, you need to cherish yourself. And that was the best advice I had ever gotten in my life. And I spent every day cherishing myself until literally the first accidental date I'd had after 14 years with my ex-husband was my now husband. And because I cherished myself so much, we just fell deeply in love from date one. That's right. So that's a wonderful example. Thank you for this. And I just, before I forget, I wanted to tell you about this prayer, which is very similar oh, yes, to you apparently tell yourself every morning, which is after the, the erotic act, the man puts a hand on the woman's body and she says, thank you for this experience of the divine consciousness. You are the conduit for goddess consciousness. It's very beautiful in the sense that it's, and also it says that after the ritual, the Hindu philosopher says, you will be walking like gods and goddesses on earth mm. because it comes from this from this enlightened consciousness. And I always say that this erotic rapture that they describe there is just a tool. It's not the only way of experiencing expanded consciousness, but what in tantra intends to do it's to show you that anything can be a portal to higher consciousness anything that you can do with respect and with love and with proper attitude with proper intention can be a portal to higher consciousness i couldn't agree with you more joanna i it's been in the last four years or so I can experience rapture looking at the clouds. Like this morning, I kid you not, I was out walking my dog this morning. It's a beautiful morning. It's like there are rain clouds in the air. And just seeing the tips and edges of the clouds illuminated as the sun rose literally brings me into a state of rapture or bliss because in everything, whether it's enjoying a piece of food and shutting your eyes or a melody or conversation or physical touch from a friend, a lover, whatever it might be, these are all equal opportunities. When we're connected to the divinity in ourselves, there's divinity in everything. That's right. That's right. That's right. It reminds me, my spiritual teacher once told me eventually a pure tantrika, which is an adept who would say, even eating pizza, ah, this pizza gives me... (laughs) (laughs) I am Italian. (laughs) That is totally true. I, I was in Italy a few weeks ago, and I will tell you. Oh, I so you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> every, every piece was ecstasy and bliss. <laughs> so I love that. So let's take it back to the goddesses, because I think this is a fascinating topic that is not really talked about much, because it's funny, because actually just a few weeks ago, I did a panel with Deepak Chopra, and we were talking mm-hmm. Gabriella Wright, and we were talking about the path of the divine feminine and how it leads to the path to joy. And I think that for the first time in millennia, now it is becoming acceptable. We are seeing this birthing of this new feminine era where even the masculine 
is learning that it's okay to have their feminine show. I was just speaking with my husband last night about this, and he was saying men so often, or anybody who anybody who ascribes themselves to masculine attributes, I don't want to be so specific mm-hmm. to only say men, but anybody who ascribes themselves to the masculine attributes, really there's a lot of pressure to protect, to provide, to procreate. And sometimes those of us who are more in our feminine energy, we can't understand what that's like for somebody in a masculine energy to embody and to make manifest in the world. And I think for the first time in history, we are given giving the more masculine individuals and iterations of how people are showing up permission to drop into that softness and also allowing that to still be present. How can a woman or somebody who embraces the femininity within themselves, how can there be both? How can you allow the masculine and feminine to dance together rather than it being an either or? And correct me if I'm wrong, but that strikes me as maybe what some of the teachings of Tantra and the goddess energy you're speaking of really are tied into. Yes, they are really tied in into the dance of masculine and feminine together. And it also just, when I'm moving away from Tantra, it also what you were saying now reminds me of the teachings of a Swiss psychoanalyst Carl Jung, who says mm-hmm. we both, women and men, have a masculine and a feminine, the anima and the animus. And it's just the ratio is different in different individuals. So when we, and I think right now we really experience the rise of divine feminine and, and, divine, and goddess consciousness, really. But in my book, I was focused focusing primarily on the other goddess because I hope it doesn't offend any listeners here because I think that so far the only goddess consciousness that we're exploring was the mother consciousness and this is very beautiful and very important archetype when if we speak about archetype of a goddess but it's not the only goddess archetype and especially that very often the mother archetype was desexualized, de-eroticized. And both women and men live in this kind of polarity between like Virgin Mary, the virginal mother who has to be always perfect, always compassionate, having no needs of her own. And in, at least in, in Christianity, it was portrayed by Mary Magdalene, who is this other sensual, beautiful, but dangerous. <laughs> and, so, and then... I don't know if you want me to talk about Mary Magdalene, but if we talk about other goddesses, because actually I went to the Jerusalem and there in I noticed this painting of Mary Magdalene with a hand extended, and it reminded me of many other goddesses from Sumer, for example, like goddess Nimna or goddess Inanna or Hathor or I, who originally were not mothers. Isis later was transformed into a mother during the Roman Empire. But at the beginning, there were these goddesses who were self-empowered and who had beautiful erotic power that has also the power of healing. And all of them were present in the process of giving life again to male figure who represented humanity. And sometimes this is what the process of resurrection is being called. But there's this presence, feminine presence that has a very healing but erotic and wise presence of a goddess. And they all are portrayed with very similar symbols through history. So I thought it was very interesting. And then the last kind of expression of this that I know of in in the West is Mary Magdalene, right? So 
who is also portrayed in such ways in the Gnostic Gospels, which are the Gospels which were discovered in 1945 in Egypt, but they are ancient Gospels, except that they were rejected originally in the Council of Nicaea in the 4th century. And then Mary Magdalene is portrayed as an intimate partner of Jesus and also his favorite disciple. Yeah, it's so, fascinating when you look at the juxtaposition of the sex kitten that yeah. harlot, as Mary Magdalene was called for so many years, versus the Virgin Mary. And I'll throw in a third one that I heard about many years ago, a brilliant woman named Alison Armstrong, who studied men and women. I don't know if you're familiar with with her work. So I had never heard of this before, but she said, what is desirable to most masculine people, men, if you want to call it that, or somebody who embraces mm -hmm. the masculine side, is the three elements, which is the mother, the sex kitten, and the queen was an mm -hmm. interesting one I hadn't heard of before, but it does tie into that goddess-like energy, the Isis, the one who is revered, and that that's really what we seek in a partner, at least a feminine partner, a masculine mm -hmm. partner might, is somebody who embodies all three of those. And this goddess, that's a fantastic example, actually, because this goddess is embodied this. So, for example, goddess Inanna was exactly that. Goddess Sundari was exactly that. A full-on sexual, but also wise, you know, and very, like, goddess-wise. They are goddesses, so <laughs> obviously goddess and queenly as well. And, for example, Inanna had a priestess, high priestess, and Renada, who was embodying her about some time later, and she wrote these beautiful poems that are very erotic, but nothing pornographic, but very erotic poems to her lover, the Mutsi, which basically says, my vulva is the boat to heaven. Like, beautiful, and the Mutsi come to me, very beautiful, erotic poems. So, they are... Maybe not a sex kitten, but very beautifully erotic, beautifully erotic feminine goddesses. And I think that this is what was actually missing from the mother goddess. So I think that some people may criticize me why I, I'm not putting the mother goddess away. I'm just saying it, it was unrealistic. No woman is like that. Of no course, woman can be any one thing. It's not fair for right, right. any man or any masculine person to be any one way or any woman or any feminine Correct. person. Yeah. We are all a beautiful diamond with different facets and shapes. And so on that note, Drena, we're coming close to time here. I would love to have you share what is a takeaway? What is something that you would offer the audience as far as how to embrace the goddess within them, whether or not your masculine energy or feminine energy? I feel like there's space for all of that. So what would be your advice to someone? I think we have to I have we have to completely change our view of our sexuality and our eroticism. We have to embrace it and we have to bring it back from the shadows. Because I think it, it is a shadow, not because it is a bad, but because we have a completely wrong understanding of this. And also the mass media and our culture we are inculturated to think about it as something dark, when in fact it's just one of many tools. It's very primal part of us and it's a tool for actually for our spiritual evolution as well so we have to reframe how we think about our sexuality about our bodies and our connection loving connection with other people i love that it is really truly our loving connection with other people really to take it back to what we spoke about earlier begins with our loving connection to ourselves, and the more that we learn to love and cherish and accept ourselves the greater our capacity to love accept and cherish one another so i think that's so deep and thank you so much joanna for being here with us today it's been such a pleasure if people do want to go out and they want to find out about the other goddess or find out about some of the other work that you've done where would be the best place to have people do so 
I think the best way to find the other goddess is on Amazon.com. Book Depository and other sources, but usually the Amazon, Amazon.com. And also I have a Facebook page and I have a web page and I'm on Instagram and I love to connect with people who, who read the book. That would be my great pleasure if people wanted to get in touch with me. Thank you. Yeah, it's been such a pleasure. I'm so happy we'll have other, we've already had other common sentience artists and authors on here. Sister Dr. Jenna had joined us, and we have many others coming in the near future. So Dr. Joanna Kuyava has been here with us today, author of The Other Goddess and many other wonderful works that she's in the process of. And so thank you so much for being here and tuning in with us. And I also invite you, please, if you want to explore how to heal the masculine, the feminine, go to om-heals.com. Again, that's om-heals.com, which is a platform that I co-created to custom match you. Talk about matching. How do we match people with one another energetically? And so we use a proprietary algorithm to find who is the best holistic practitioner to help you in your own personal journey for growth, development, and connecting to the divinity within you. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for joining us today for another episode of Regarding Consciousness with Jennifer K. Hill. We would love it if you would take a moment and write a review for us or rate us on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And if you'd like to stay in touch and find out about upcoming events with some of the amazing guests we've had on the show, like Deepak Chopra and other world thought leaders, feel free to join my email list at metabizics, M-E-T-A-B-I-Z-I-C-S dot com. Again, that's metabizics.com. And you can go ahead and join our email list there. Thanks so much. And we look forward to having you join us next week.